When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Always smooth, always refreshing. Gold medal winner at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. When you're this good, quality always comes through. PBR Me, ASAP. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Purple Podcast. I'm Ben Gessling from ESPN, joined by Matthew Collar and Judd Zulgad from 1500 ESPN. The Vikings minicamp is in the books, but the news, of course, with this team never stops. And the news today is that Michael Floyd uh, is back in court a week from Monday to show cause for why he had alcohol in his system this week. Uh, he says it was from kombucha tea, but he was tested with alcohol in his system earlier this week and will have to, of course, go back out to Arizona to prove that he was not, in fact, drinking alcohol, or at least drinking alcohol in the sense that, that we know it, um, as a part of his house arrest. So that's going to be something that the Vikings will have to deal with going forward to see where that goes, to see where NFL discipline plays into this. We already were expecting some, and whether this will affect it or not, uh, or exacerbate it, we don't know yet. But uh, certainly something the Vikings are going to have to keep a close eye on for a guy that they were hoping could be a at least some of a, somewhat of a contributor to their depth at that position. We'll see how much of a contributor he is, and, and we'll see where all of this goes. But guys, certainly a a uh, another twist in the Michael Floyd saga as it's played out in the last year or so. And uh, what were your reactions to this when you first heard it? And uh, what do you make of it going forward for the Vikings and their wide receiver depth situation, tenuous as it may be? I guess uh, just being maybe a cynical person as I am, as maybe the Purple Podcast listeners have criticized all of us for at one time or another, uh, for being negative or cynical I wasn't entirely surprised to see that this happened, and I also saw the explanation and immediately thought, well, that really doesn't sound all that plausible, that it was tea that would take 50 bottles or whatever to reach uh, the test that he had, the .05, I, I think it was. And so now my thought is, well... I'm not sure that we're going to be seeing Michael Floyd at training camp because if he's got to go back to Arizona and he's telling them that it's some sort of tea that actually can't 
get your blood alcohol to that level, I'm not sure that they're going to buy it. I mean, you don't want to jump to conclusions when it comes to anything like this, but all of the uh, signs are pointing to this might be not good for the future of Michael Floyd with the Minnesota Vikings or in the NFL or as a person. Well, and, and plus, you know, keep in mind, the state of Arizona allowed him to leave as a favor, really. And so now they're going to bring him back. And, yeah, I would say this, and and we certainly know some details, not all. We're going to hear different stories uh, from, from both sides at first. But I would say this. Michael Floyd very well might have a disease that is a very difficult, difficult disease to overcome. And the most important thing for him is not football right now. The most important thing for him is to get his life in order to get things right. And and if you're if you're the Vikings from a pure football standpoint, guys, I think the fair thing here is is you want what's best for Michael Floyd as a person. But that being said, you're going to be going into a season in which there's high hopes for your team. There's pressure on your team. And from this day forward, to assume that Floyd can be part of that team and a contributor is probably a mistake. Mm-hmm. So so speaking purely from a football standpoint, if I'm the Vikings, I'm saying to myself, I want to get this guy help, but I'm not going to count on him for 2017. And the most important thing becomes, do you trust Laquan Treadwell now uh, to bump up potentially and be your three receiver going into camp, which I don't think you should do for one second. And so if I'm the Vikings, I am on the phone to Eric Decker right now saying, what's it going to take to get you here? Because we'd like to go to training camp with you on our roster. Are you, are you not waiting for the court hearing to, the, to make that decision, though? Uh, no, because here's the thing. In cases like this, if I'm the team, I am, unless nothing happens to you for months, I'm not, I, I am not going to be confident. So as of right now, I'm saying if Michael Floyd is told, you know what, you're right, you drank too much tea, blah, 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 I'm saying you're back on the team. But if I'm a team with the playoff hopes and aspirations that the Vikings have, the first sign of trouble football-wise is when I bail. So anything that Floyd gives you from this day forward, if he can play, is gravy. But keep in mind, too, guys, this was a guy who we thought there was a very good chance that he would be suspended two to four games to start the season without this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Therefore, as a team, I am saying I am right now readdressing who my third receiver is, and I am looking on the market because from a football standpoint, guess what else? I don't trust Treadwell. There is no way in good conscience I can say if if Floyd is detained uh, in Arizona that I can now come back and say I trust Treadwell completely. That's another guy. As a football player, if he gives me something, great. But I feel like I now need to go look for a third receiver. I think this does make it uh, a viable option to try and go after Eric Decker now. I mean, you were arguing that they should anyway because you weren't sure about where this situation would go. Uh, But judging by their offseason and the fact that they added Floyd and chased after Alshon Jeffrey and drafted two wide receivers – There's a lot that's been said very nice about Laquan Treadwell, but all of the actions said, yeah, we don't really trust Laquan Treadwell either. And I like to read what they do as opposed to entirely what they say. Mm -hmm. And drafting two receivers, signing another one, trying to sign Elshon Jeffrey, that to me says, yeah, we know we need another option. It looked like they had it in Michael Floyd. And he seemed to be just portions of these mini camps, OTAs that were open. I mean, he seemed to be coming along. Mike Zimmer said that he was a little in over his head at first and then was catching up and and starting to, 
you know, really get the playbook and things like that. Sure. And now I think the future is in question. In my mind, this if it goes the wrong way when he goes back to Arizona, that's the end of his NFL career. And uh, I don't know how it could go right for him, but if it does, then you still have to be concerned about where this might end up. And to Ben's point, I I am not saying bail on Floyd as a person. If I'm the team, I help him. But guys, my point of, of reference in this whole thing comes from one case, Corin Robinson. Corin had a drinking problem. Signed in 2005. Guess what? Was fantastic. They signed him to a three-year contract and went to training camp with children saying, you know what, I've got Corrin. He's my top guy. He's got his life turned around. And the last we saw of Corrin was in in a St. Peter um, courthouse having gotten in in a high-speed chase with cops. This is a brutal disease. This is alcoholism is brutal. And I'm all for helping the people. But if, once again, the Minnesota Vikings are going into a season in which they have Super Bowl aspirations. And I think if you go to training camp with Diggs, Thielen, and Treadwell, you're selling yourself short. And if you trust Floyd, I think that's a mistake. Um, so from a human standpoint, I say help him all you can. From a football organizational standpoint, I say you have to be prepared to move on right now and not count on Michael Floyd to do a thing for you in 2017. When it comes to helping him as a person, I I don't know. I mean, there's just so many people that NFL teams probably wish that they could help that have issues, and it's uh, callous, but I don't think they look at it that way. They look at it like, we got a cheap deal on you because there was an issue, and now that there's another problem, my expectation is that they'll wait at very least until we find out what happens with the courts. But even this should be enough to shock the system for the Vikings. It's a sign to, of something, yeah. Yeah, to say that this might not go the way we wanted it to go. And they tried, uh, and he tried, it seemed, to put himself in a position to succeed with this by moving in with Kyle Rudolph. But we've just been through this so many times with different players that when you're taking a risk, that's what it's called for a reason. And sometimes it's not going to work out. And right now, to me, they don't have a parachute when it comes to the other wide receivers. And maybe we'll look back and say, Cordero Patterson kept tweeting and Snapchatting and telling anyone who would listen that he wanted to stay in Minnesota. And you let him walk to Oakland. I'm not saying he's the best receiver in the world, but there was a guy that you knew exactly what he would give you. And instead, how you're replacing him is hoping Rodney Adams can play a fifth round pick or hoping that Michael Floyd would be able to get things together. So if he didn't, now you've got a pretty big hole there. And instead of the conversation about, well, they've really stacked up these weapons around uh, Sam Bradford, in the backfield, yeah, but now in the receiving, well, if Stefan Diggs has to miss a couple games, or, I don't know, Adam Thielen got popped you last need year depth. once. Or, right. You need depth. I agree. And so now that makes it, Uh, very difficult for them if they're not going to be able to sign Eric Decker because if if you're Decker I mean you've got your pick of the litter almost every team would take you right it's just who's going to offer you the most money now he would have leverage I guess if this is if there's uncertainty here right but you you've got room I mean this is a situation where I think because you you have spent this entire time the last few months doing what bringing in every potential helpful guy for Bradford, correct? I mean, you've redone your backfield. 
Your tight ends appear to be solid. You went and got Floyd. You drafted uh, two more guys. So if you're going to be able to say, Sam, we continue to put you in the best position possible to succeed, I think you need to go get him one more guy. And and as I said, listen, Treadwell made some nice catches in OTAs mm-hmm. and mini camps. I, I'll never, you know, so so Vikings.com shows him speeding past Rhodes one day, and he makes this great catch. Okay, but here's the thing. Xavier Rhodes ain't going to be out there pulling a hamstring. <laughs> I mean, Xavier Rhodes is saying, I'm basically working on my technique. So don't be fooled by that. But this all comes back to to the fact that Teams deal with this consistently, and I am for I'm for taking chances on guys because if you don't take chances, guess what? Some really good players come and go. But when you take chances, what you have to be prepared for is what's our backup plan. And mm-hmm. to me, we've entered the zone of you better be aware of, of what your backup plan is. And if you're now going to tell me, well, we've trusted Treadwell all along, I call BS on that. I think that's a bunch. I think you hope he's improved. But if you're now gonna if you're now going to sit me down and say Laquan Treadwell will be our number three receiver and we're confident, I say that you are, are feeding me a bunch of garbage because you wouldn't have signed Michael Floyd if you were purely confident of that. Another thing about Floyd and the other guys they have on the roster is that he in his skill set is simply different than they are and brought something to the Vikings that they didn't really have last year and now they don't have if this doesn't work out. Maybe it will. I we we should never underestimate football players' ability to get back on the field despite no. whatever it might be. But this is where we sit today with with the conversation, right? I mean that's the thing about this. This is where things are right now. Paps Blue Ribbon is always smooth, always refreshing, and the perfect choice at the game or out with friends. And now, add gold to the great PBR tradition, because Paps Blue Ribbon was awarded the gold medal for American-style lager at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. That makes four gold medals for PBR in the last 11 years. Not bad. It's that gold medal taste that has made Paps Blue Ribbon a Twin Cities favorite. When you're this good, quality always comes through. Go for the gold. PBR me ASAP. Okay, we had to pause for a second. Judd had to go, and Ben had to do some work here on Michael Floyd. So, Ben, what have you what have you discovered here on on Floyd's situation? Yeah. So, according to a police record that I was able to obtain, Floyd had a missed test in uh, three failed tests on Sunday morning, uh, according to the report. After reviewing alcohol monitoring reports, high alcohol level as High alcohol levels and missed tests were reported. The following are the times and levels of each test. June 11th, which is Sunday morning at 5.30, at which point he blew up 0.055. Uh, June 11th at 5.54, it was 0.045. 6.23 was 0.044. And then he missed a test at 6.33. Now, I think this is like an electronic, probably breath test thing mm-hmm. that he just has to blow into. Uh, the defendant was contacted by Sentinel, the testing company, on his cell phone uh, later, or actually Monday morning, when questioned on the activity, the defendant stated he consumed kombucha tea. So now he has to go back to court on uh, June 26th to I, tell it story to the judge. Now my question is, how are you going to prove that in court? Yeah, and I don't like to overly uh, speculate about how things are going to play out with court cases. No, never. There are things I love to overly speculate about. Uh, I like to overly speculate about trades. Yes. Free agent signings. Yes. Even potential schematic decisions. 
Which, with the Everson Griffin thing, we were kind of right on that. We were, yes. I love that. Anyway, but, uh, and it, sorry. It, yes, don't don't derail me here. You're good at that. I, I love to derail podcasts. Um, on court cases, though, now there's where I'll take myself a little more easy when it comes to the hot takes that you enjoy so much. But <laughs> there is a real issue with his story versus him testing positive for alcohol there. The amount of alcohol could not possibly have been from tea. It just is is not possible. And I have trouble thinking that a judge is going to believe that. And I also think for as hard as they came down on Michael Floyd yeah. here, I was actually stunned that even with it, the severity of his DUI, yeah. that he got jail time and house arrest. That was a lot. And I think with this, it's hard to see no more punishment coming yeah. because the story just doesn't add up. Well, I mean, the, the, the part that I think he's going to have an awfully hard time, and neither of us are lawyers, nor do we play lawyers on TV, uh, the the part I would assume he's going to have a hard time proving is how your BAC at 5.30 on a Sunday morning when the, the Vikings aren't practicing and you presumably... I mean, maybe he has to be up that early to do these tests, but... When you're basically probably one drink away from being at .08 or over, um, at 5.30 in the morning from kombucha tea, like what time did you have to get up to start pounding enough of that tea to have your blood alcohol level at that point? I mean, that that's the part to me that... And you know I'm not a great kombucha tea mind. Uh, I'm, I'm not a great uh, breathalyzer mind either, but the, the part that seems difficult for me, for him to prove is an explanation that is not somewhat untoward that says, yeah, that's how my blood alcohol content got to that level at 5.30 in the morning on a weekend without actually drinking any quote-unquote alcoholic beverages. Nope, that does not, that does not add The up. burden of proof is going to be awfully high. I would think yeah. in that case. And, and, you know, maybe the story holds up, you know, maybe there's, there's some things here that, uh, that, that we don't have all the details on yet, but, uh, just like you said, given the fact of how hard they came down on him, you could see a judge saying, well, it was two weeks ago. You can't prove it. You can't, I can't disprove it. But the fact remains that you had that much alcohol mm-hmm. in your system. That's still not illegal from a, a DUI standpoint, but obviously we're talking about a different set of, rules here when you have been under house arrest and everything else when you have that much in your system i would think a judge is going to say well if you if unless there's some way to prove this with physical evidence um we're gonna have to go ahead and put you back on a a different sentence i i would think that's possibly where we're headed but uh we'll probably know more about that in a week or so well and uh Judd brings up a very good point with the fact that they already did him a favor. Yeah, moving a sentence to Minnesota. Yeah, Yeah. allowing him to come here just for practices. They could have easily said, no way, for practice, not not a chance. you got to stay here and serve this out in Arizona. Practice. Not a game. But they uh, allowed him to come here as what seems like kind of a goodwill showing. Right. And then he ends up with a positive test. And like you said, that... The explanation just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and it's going to be very, very difficult for him to prove when it comes to standing in front of a judge. Yeah. And I just have a tough time seeing a judge saying, 
okay, T makes sense. Uh, go back to Minnesota and have a good season. And one of the sad things, though, that comes to mind for this is what I think you did the math, right? Was it 90 days of his 96? Yeah. Well, the, according to the record, it was because I, I think his sentence is actually up tomorrow. Um, and, and according to this, it was he was on day he had completed day 91 as of June 12th. So, yeah, that would add up that it was going to be done on the 17th. So which just is tomorrow, which is Saturday, yeah. So just days away from having right. the whole thing completed, right. and uh, for the Vikings organization and for the courts and everything else, it seems like they did everything they could to give him an opportunity here to get past this and resume his career. And now you wonder if we're ever going to see him play again because I, we know this that teams will give second chances and sometimes even third chances, yeah. but there is a line that you draw. And the fact that he was released by Arizona and then the Patriots seemed to show no interest in really even playing him uh, when it came to the Super Bowl. He was not active for that game. They didn't show any interest in re-signing him after being around him for a little while. And then with this incident, I I don't know if he has enough left for how well he can play. Uh, to get back on the field after this or if anyone would trust him to sign him again and one thing that is worth mentioning um, is that they can let him go with no penalty whatsoever there's no guaranteed money in his contract nor would you expect there to be when you're talking about a guy that had a, a lot of risk that comes with him so they can they can move on easily uh they have enough money to go out and sign somebody else like an eric decker if they wanted to go do that, regardless of whether they get rid of Michael Floyd. But, yes, the, the Vikings are not really uh, pot committed here, so to speak. They're yeah. not they're not really out anything uh, if, in fact, they decide to cut him, other than probably some questions uh, about why they did it in the first place. But I think we know why they did it. They needed depth at the position. Mm-hmm. You roll the dice. You cover yourself in case of something like this happening because you don't give them any guaranteed money and you hope it works out. And if it doesn't, you cut your losses and move on. But, uh, yeah, it certainly is an unfortunate twist for Michael Floyd, whether it works out that he can prove that it was T or whether it was not that. I mean, it's obviously something he probably doesn't want to have to be dealing with, but certainly a lot of uh, factors, a lot of different twists to this that uh, are probably bigger than... uh, him and, and any of us so uh a lot going on here and uh we'll see how it plays out as it relates to the vikings depth at the position um as uh somebody was saying to me earlier today if you're if you're counting on a guy staying out of trouble to fortify your depth at the position you might not have enough depth at the position well, do the vikings have a problem now at wide receiver what it really comes down to is whether you believe anything that's being said about Treadwell. And, yes. Uh, Judd yes. and I were kicking that back and forth as you were uh, doing tracking down of sources and right. so forth. Right. Um, but Big I know boy from, journalism. I know from my standpoint, and I think Judd and I are on the same page there. When a guy has one catch in his rookie season, he's a first round pick. Yeah. You just can't convince me with any words that I should have confidence that that player or any OTA practices anything until he actually gets in the game and does it yep you just can't convince me that i should believe that that player is then going to all of a sudden become a very good part of your office and as you said and as we have 
have heard from other people as well. They tried to sign Alshon Jeffrey. Right. I mean, that doesn't exactly suggest, oh, yeah, we're, we're fine. We, we totally believe in, in Treadwell, at least to the point of not giving ourselves some kind of coverage in case something does go wrong with Treadwell. So uh, lots for him to prove as well and uh, lots for the Vikings to figure out at that position because, I mean, you like the, t- the top two guys. I mean, Adam Thielen had a breakout year. Stephon Diggs certainly looks like he's becoming a uh, – effective wide receiver you know maybe not the number one guy that you look for in in some teams you know a guy like an Antonio Brown or uh, Odell Beckham I mean he's he's not that kind of a guy Julio Jones probably you know probably not on that level but maybe a step down from that um and and Adam Thielen certainly contributes a lot to that offense as well but beyond that there's a lot to figure out there, and, and that's going to be something to, to keep an eye on through training camp and the preseason. Well, and that's one of my questions is now who even takes that role of being the deep threat? Both Diggs and Thielen can go deep. Yes. In fact, when Sam Bradford was throwing it— Thielen at, did it fairly it was, well. Yeah, it was fantastic. I think he had the highest completion percentage on balls that were considered by official NFL play-by-play as deep. Deep passes. Yes. I don't know what the exact definition of that is. I assume it's over X number of yards yeah, through the 10, air. 10, 15, but, 20 people are different. I mean, people that say it's 10, it's like, come on. I mean, if, if you're calling it 15 or 20, I'll, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm good with that. 10 is a little It shouldn't. It shouldn't me. be 10. No. no. 10 is an intermediate yes. throw. But however the NFL play-by-play defines it, the numbers on Thielen for completion percentage were the highest in the league, and Diggs was too. Yeah. It was just they didn't get that many opportunities to go down the field. However, having a guy who is known as a stretch-the-field player, yes. you can't tell me that having Michael Floyd in Arizona didn't help Larry Fitzgerald get to the top of the league. I mean, Fitzgerald on his yeah. own can beat yeah. anybody, but it helped him open up the field yes. for him to be in the slot, and I think we were expecting that from Diggs too. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's what they – want with Michael Floyd I mean that that's what they wanted in Jared Cook when they went after him they wanted a guy Mm -hmm. that could go over the middle of the field stretch things out vertically a little bit I mean it's not going to be Norv Turner's offense anymore it's not going to be where that is a central part of what you want to do but we have heard them talk about we want to be able to hit on more play action stuff we want to be able to stretch the field by coaxing Defenders up to the line of scrimmage. I mean, some of the things that you've always wanted to do, that this mythical idea in some ways with Adrian Peterson that all of these years that we would always hear about, oh, it's going to open up things and you know, you're going to have defenders come to the box then you can make them pay. Now, the problem there is that you often didn't trust Peterson to be on the field in passing situations. So that limited to that effect to some degree but oh no no didn't you see adrian peterson has told the media in new orleans that he's a great pass yes, catcher and he does yes. not understand where that came from uh, oh, <laughs> Do you miss him oh already? adrian don't you miss oh him? adrian um you know and <laughs> in, in, in you know i was, I, was a, I saw that this week that story and it's like <laughs> man the off-season stories on peterson are so tremendous i was um uh, trading emails with Mike Triplett, our Saints writer, this week, and I I had told Mike previously about the seafood thing. If you know, this is a guy that that loves jambalaya, loves gumbo, uh, is allergic to shellfish, as we all know. Uh, how is that going to work out? And, and Mike asked him that question this week, and Adrian said, "Yeah, I, you know, I yeah, I'm allergic to shellfish, but I'll have my EpiPen with me, and I plan on quote tearing up the New Orleans food scene." And uh, now, and as I te- I emailed Mike back, never change, Adrian, just. Y- you do you, buddy. But here's what frustrates me, is that I tweeted you with a great pun 
about that story. I missed and it. You didn't I, respond. I don't check my mentions all that much. Really? You didn't see it? No, I I I went back later and saw it. Uh, why, don't, why don't you tell it for our readers? It was kind of funny, so I'll give you the Florida. Well, I I just said that he's living up to his reputation as a shellfish player. Yes, I I did get a, a chuckle out of that when I went back through it. I but I don't I don't check them in real time that much. So uh, all of you who may have designs on uh, trying to to chirp at me on Twitter or tweak me and hope to get a rise out of me or send him hilarious puns. Well, or that too. Um, you know, whatever you're sending, it, it doesn't get looked at a ton. So you're kind of taking your chances whether you're going to get any kind of a reaction. But uh, so I did I see a, that one later. We have a different philosophy there. See, if someone tweets me, I see it right away, and I always like to read and respond. Yeah, I, I used to do that. But uh, years of uh, Twitter have, have changed my habits a little yeah, bit that they, way. They, they've hardened you. Well, anyway, yeah, a little uh, bit. back to the point, though. So... My schematic speculation. You ready for for this now? Yes. If, Good if, alliteration. If Michael Floyd cannot play for the Minnesota Vikings this year, which I think is very realistic at this point, I think they should become a running team. Oh boy. Yes, I think <laughs> Not that. Again. I think that Not they again. should become a running team and put all of their focus. Assuming that the other high risk player doesn't get in trouble, Delvin Cook. Yeah. Uh I think they should put their focus into three of their most talented players, Latavius Murray, Jarek McKinnon, Delvin Cook, and work to the strengths of their two tackles that they signed. Oh yeah. Okay. I'll I'll hear the argument. You want to go like wishbone or what are you thinking? Uh not wishbone exactly. They don't have a fullback, you realize. Okay. Now and, I'm gonna take this David a, Morgan, I guess. But. I'm gonna take this a step further. C.J. Ham is winning that fullback job. Oh, in fact, he's got no competition. That's true. He's the only fullback. He's like a soil and water commissioner. He's running out of post on the ballot. Hear me out. Remember when Homer did that in The Simpsons? I ran for soil he, and water commissioner? I think he ran for a garbage commissioner. Yeah, I'm not a big Simpsons guy. He won. But, really? Uh, I knew I didn't trust you. Yeah, I mean, I've always... I, I've always been told that I should be. It was you should of, be. I, so here was the thing there. I wasn't allowed to watch it growing up. At Me least either. for the early part of things. And then when I watched it in college, I had a few people like, oh, this is the greatest show ever. And I, and I tend to, when people say that, I'm kind of like, all right, we'll see. But I'm going to go in with some skepticism. And it was, you know, it's it's funny. It's obviously very clever, you know, groundbreaking in a lot of ways. It was something like, yeah, this is funny. And I, I could probably get into this. But there's just so much of it to get into. It's been on for 30 years. Well, it's that's like, the thing. By I the, can't possibly wrap my arms around all of it at this point. By the time you were in college, it's well past its prime. Exactly. I remember it being past its prime when I was like 14. Right. And so now they're like making episodes in China or something. And it just like, it's it just bottled it's and it doesn't matter. It's still on in some capacity. It, no, is it, it is. Yeah. Is it just in China? Or is it still in no. the U.S.? I, I think I read a story about how they've outsourced the... Uh, animation to China or something like that. And and right, and that's the like, okay, yeah, I'm not really paying attention anymore. Any episode that I've caught recently has been really bad, and it's just, okay, whatever. But seasons like four through ten are so good that it's worth investigating. Every once in a while, the, the TV station FXX will play... All of them, like yeah. back to back to back. So if you can catch some, I think you would appreciate the humor. Yeah, I mean, my TV is usually turned to ESPN, ESPN2, ABC, uh, Disney Channel for my kids, Disney oh, yes, Junior, or yes, Freeform, yes. Uh, uh, the new you, ABC family. You also use the Watch ESPN app. I do. I do. I'm it's, sure. It's very, uh, uh-huh. 
it's very handy. I actually was watching the NBA Finals on it the other night. My wife had the TV on for something else. Popped on the Watch ESPN app, watched the NBA Finals there, and I mean, it works great. Maybe you are even an ESPN Insider subscriber and see some of the hockey. I, I do. I, uh, I, I believe <laughs> I get ESPN Insider access for free, see, so I have, have the pleasure of reading your work. You have uh, Simpsons-esque humor, so that's why I had assumed that there was some Simpsons to you. Now, I don't condescending remember, smartass. I don't. That, <laughs> sometimes, yeah, yeah. Uh, just the sar- sarcasm yeah, yes, and the dry, commentary. the dry. Uh, the dry wit. Let is me get back to I'm Jarek McKinnon, for. though. Yeah, we derailed this thing hard, which I love to do. So, Jarek McKinnon might be the key to this whole thing because Jarek McKinnon is a playmaker, I think, with the ball. And last year it didn't work out that well. The offensive line was a disaster, and McKinnon had a very poor year, but anyone would have. I think Bo Jackson has a bad year behind that offensive line. <laughs> so, what you've done is you've added these Bo guys Jackson. who are really good blocking the run but eh, just okay at blocking pass you have mckinnon who is a guy you can line up in the slot you can line him up outside you could do shotgun with two running backs back there with mckinnon and murray or mckinnon and delvin cook i think it's where your playmaking talent is so running offense doesn't necessarily mean you're trying to make it 1991 right but you're keeping your three running backs more prominently involved in the whole thing exactly yeah because i think what you wanted to do was have a guy who could stretch the field and then yeah Thielen and Diggs are, yeah. are kind of your main points of your offense sure but now i think if he ends up not being able to play i think you need to look to those guys especially because of the strengths of reef and reef and remmers yeah i don't think those guys are all that good at pass blocking they're not no, clemming's I, bad but no. i don't think they're Stars. Well, Mike Zimmer has said he thinks they're better run blockers than pass protectors, yeah. and and when you're hearing that from a guy, uh, in I think he said it in March, it's probably worth uh, keeping in mind because he certainly didn't have to say it, and it was interesting that he did. But uh, I, yeah, in the sense that they have, uh, you want to cater your offense to what your talent is. Yes, I, I see it in that perspective, and, and certainly. I mean, you know, some of those teams that Pat Shermer has been part of, whether it was, you know, some of those teams with the Eagles, I think when he was in the organization, when Donovan McNabb and Brian Westbrook were there, or some of the things they were doing with LaShawn McCoy, um, you know, I, I, yeah, I could see that. Because if you're going to throw short, if you're going to have short passes and run after the catch be a big part of it, you have guys that can do that. I mean, all three of those running backs can catch the ball, mm-hmm. and, Der- and Jerick McKinnon and Dalvin Cook conceivably can line up in other places as well. So, yeah, if you don't have the the guy that's going to take the top off the defense like you were hoping Michael Floyd was going to do, and maybe still can, uh, depending on how all of this works out, but in any case, I mean, you're probably going to have a suspension for some portion of the year, and involving those guys, I see it almost more as receivers than going back to we want to run the ball 35 times a game. I mean, you know, you have to see how it all works out, but I, I... yeah, if you're going to play to your strengths, the depth they have there and the versatility they have there probably is one of those, certainly more than the depth they have at wide receiver at this point. And if you go back to that Eagles year where Sam Bradford kind of reinvigorated his career, yeah. I think he was. I think a lot of people thought, man, maybe a bust here, and then he had a good enough season to have a starting job now in Minnesota because of that. I mean, a lot of the the passing scheme involved two running backs. Yeah. 
dropping the ball off. Those running backs, I forget, I ran the numbers on this once, but I think they combined for something like 150 catches between Darren Sproles, DeMarco Murray, and Ryan Matthews were the three guys in the backfield. Yeah, I suppose this would have been post LaShawn McCoy. Yes, yes. Because they would have made that true. As I said that, I'm like, no, that time he doesn't work out, but I'm going to go with well, it but I Shermer, can't look it up on the fly. Yeah, Shermer was still the offensive coordinator, though. Yes. And it just seemed, it seems like wherever Shermer goes, he's just going to bring Sam Bradford along with him because <laughs> they you know acquired him there. But it's a package deal. Having those three running backs, I think it gives you a lot of options for creativity. I, at times, was a little disappointed in the level of creativity last year especially with Cordero Patterson. Yeah. Special 19 catches between the three 119. of them, by the way. Okay, so I was a little high on that. but 55 for Sproles, 44 for Murray, 20 for Matthews. But that's a lot of throws to running backs. Eagles. Yes. I think we could see something similar to that. Yeah, yeah. But that, that's, that's, I guess it's not as hot of a take as I thought it was. <laughs> well... The uh, the other big story of the week coming out of Vikings camp, or I guess maybe not the big story, but one of the more revealing stories, I guess, was Mike Zimmer yesterday in his final press conference of the spring was, was in a fairly revealing mood about a lot of things. He said that his retina looks perfect at this point, that the latest checkup shows that he should be just about out of the woods with the issues with his right eye. I asked him about the possibilities of this coming up in his left eye. And he said, now doctors have said there's a one in five chance that he will have issues with it again. He said, don't go making a headline out of that. And I think we all uh, heeded that request. But, I mean, medically, one in five is is a pretty high likelihood. And he said that's simply because your eyes are, are shaped the same way. So if, if something happens in one, it's it's got a good chance of happening in the other. But he said that uh, if that happens during the season, uh He's going to go. He said, I'm, I'm going to coach. I'll, I'll worry about it after the year. We heard him say that I needed to take it more seriously if this happened, when it first happened with his right eye. And, and he's talked about how, and he said yesterday, that with some of the continued checkups that he has and, and probably early detection and that kind of stuff that can maybe get on top of it a little bit faster if it were to happen again, because now he's obviously going to probably continue to see an optometrist mm-hmm. Uh, an ophthalmologist uh, for quite a Opto while. Whatever, magist. Yeah, whichever. Uh, probably an ophthalmologist, I would guess. But um, we're not doctors. We're not lawyers. We just try to learn this stuff as best we can. <laughs> but uh, if that happens again, he said he's going to coach. And uh, you know, for all the talk about taking it more seriously, it was interesting to hear that. But I, I think it was also interesting to hear him talk about the ways that he's trying to change as a coach, that he's trying to be more involved with the offense, that he's spending more time in the offensive meetings, that he wants those guys to know that they're my guys, I think is how he put it. We've heard him say this kind of stuff before, but it seemed to be more of a fully formed idea yesterday when he said it. How did it grab you when he said that? Uh, Well, first, the fact that Mike Zimmer was talking to us for 19 minutes with a smile on his face at times was something that we had not seen for a very long time. It was very 2014 Zimmer. I think I saw it briefly when they were 5-0. and Yeah. At, but even when yep. they were 5-0, and he was still sort of stodgy. I think after... May not see it again uh, until this time next year. We'll see. But... Yeah, I know, right? I, the only time that I can remember being like that, and maybe the weather has something to do with it. It was a great day. Uh, but He made some joke yesterday about uh, how there's, like, Summer Zim and in-season Zim, too. And, yes, in-season Zim will be the one that shows up at Mankato. 
after they moved on from Norv Turner, I remember we did a little thing with him where we somebody asked him about just going through the ups and downs of the yes. season. Yep. And I wrote it the whole thing because it, he told a great story about his days in Dallas and just how wild it is sometimes yep. through an NFL season, all yep. the things that happened. That was the last time I remember him really sort of opening up at all. Yeah. And yesterday was very much open book Zim. Right. And it was great to listen to him talk about trying to evolve and learn how to be a head coach, where he said sometimes guys are fired after two years after being a coordinator and yeah. they don't really understand this job. And I think what we're seeing from Zimmer is an understanding that you have to be a CEO and cannot just control one part of the game and ignore the others. And I think that that was happening. I think he was solely focused on the defense and wasn't putting enough into helping the other elements of the team. At least I think he feels this way from what he said. Yeah. And now he wants to back that off a little bit on the defensive side, even mentioned giving up the play calling potentially, which yeah. really took me aback. Yeah. <laughs> I was very surprised by that. Well, and, and he said, it, I may do it in a preseason game or two. I can't see him doing that. I, I think he's so close to it. That, I mean, he said that, that that's his baby. So, I mean, you may see George Edwards take the controls during the preseason or maybe even for a series or two during the year. I have a hard time seeing Mike Zimmer give that up. But the fact that he's thinking about that, the fact mm -hmm. that he is talking about – he spent a lot of time – I mean, this this whole answer started with him talking about situational football, that that we need to get better at this, and, and they worked on that in the last few days of camp here. They were running a lot of situational stuff where – Let's play it out almost like a scrimmage, and let's see how things happen in real time and when we need to call timeouts. And and I think that's been one of the things. Uh, you hear it from fans a lot, and I, I think we've remarked on it as well, that situational stuff has not been Mike Zimmer's strong suit. I, you know, Clock management against the Lions last year was certainly an issue. Yes. He's had times. I, I remember his first season against Buffalo. They lost that game. You may have been at – were you at that game? Sure Kyle was. Orton beat him. Yeah. Oh, uh, that would be uh, Scott Chandler yes. on third and eighteen, fourth, fourth and, 20. and twenty. Okay. Chad yeah. Greenway was trying to get Captain Munnellen lined up, didn't line up deep enough. But Zimmer talked about after that game, Sammy Watkins with the touchdown. Yes, catch, right. Yeah. yeah, with one second left. Mm -hmm. uh, Zimmer talked about how I should have called a timeout on defense, and it was you know because you don't typically want to do that. And I remember at the time he was kind of he went through the whole thing and he said I was being a scared coach and. You know, and that's kind of live and learn kind of stuff, and, and he was very open about it at that point. But I think that's been an area where he has probably needed to improve, and he seems to be a little bit more mindful of that now. And it's interesting, as we were talking last week about having a clock management guy. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like he at least, however you address it, seems like he knows that he needs to be more involved there and be more mindful of that. Well, and something came to mind for me that, maybe all that he went through last year in the long run ends up being good yeah. for Mike Zimmer. Yeah. Other than the eye. I mean, yeah. the eye thing, I, you don't want that to go wrong in the future or him to have to deal with it. Sure. But the adversity that he went through last year with Norv resigning and Teddy getting hurt and, all, and the mistakes that he made down the stretch uh, in the locker room, in the media, wh whatever it might be, with his scheme, with the clock, all those things – it may have prompted him to learn and evolve. And what came to my mind was just the history of this game and how many times offenses come up with something ingenious that can't be stopped. And yeah. then the yeah. defensive minds go to work, right? Yep. And Zimmer 
being a defensive coach for so long, I think, knows that you are not going anywhere uh, unless you can evolve as a coach yeah. and change, even if you're 61 years old. And that, I guess, would give you some confidence as in him as a head coach, knowing that he can evolve and make changes here. Well, and it was interesting. One of the things that he said yesterday, and he prefaced it by saying, I probably shouldn't say this. And every time he does that, it's always something good. I'm always thinking, like, oh, please. Here we no, go. Like, you should say it. Just just say what you feel. I mean, like, don't 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 give in to that little voice <laughs> that says, no, don't say it. I mean, don't give in to the angel on your shoulder. Come over to the devil on the other side. Just say it. Because it's always good. Um, and he said, uh, he goes, I probably shouldn't say this, but there's this guy in New England who's doing pretty damn good now, and he might have had a rough start. And he said in his deal, which he's referring to, of course, Bill Belichick yes. and the time that he struggled in Cleveland. But but he does have a point there that this is a difficult job. It is a job that requires you to do a lot of things that you probably haven't done before. I mean, you've been a coordinator, you've managed people, but you're not the guy getting the call when Michael Floyd has another court date yeah. because of a house arrest. You're it's not true. the guy that has to go talk to the media and deal with injury questions and set direction for the overall cost of your football team and show up at all these different things and and probably be as involved in the draft room. I mean, all of these things outside of just coaching. I mean, we've heard him say this before, that he has worked to improve at those things. But I, I think the longer you get a chance to do this, I mean, he has a point that there are a lot of facets to this job and it takes a while to get past the point of at least being or being merely competent at them to the point where you're good at them all. It takes a while. And, and a lot of coaches, as he said, and he's right, don't get the chance to get there. And, and uh, perhaps in year four, we will see a more fully formed Mike Zimmer. We'll see. You know who I think of for this a little bit is, well, I mean, I guess there are a lot of coaches that are examples in their second turnaround, maybe after they get fired once yeah. and they go to another yeah. place that it works out. Gary Kubiak would be one. Yes, very much so. The guy that came to mind for me is Tom Coughlin. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, a, a very well-respected mind yep. who did a great job in Jacksonville. Yeah, he did. But when he went to New York, there were some issues there mm -hmm. with how hard he was on the team, and he realized that things were changing with the culture of how you treat athletes. Manage millennials. Yeah, and uh, for the much better, by the way. Yeah. I mean, I was yeah. reading an article the other day, or someone posted on Twitter about Phil Housley just got the Sabres job. I'm excited sure. about that. And uh, South St. Paul's own. He was writing about or someone was writing in this thing about him being hazed when he came up as an 18 year old into the NHL. Yep. And, and mostly that stuff has been eliminated from pro sports. Yes. And, and all, most of all these things are good usually with treating the athletes better and not abusing them and whatever else. But Coughlin had to adapt, even though he was older in age, he yep. had to say, that's not how I'm going to treat these guys anymore. And I think Zimmer, not that he can't be hard on them, but is, doing the same thing yeah. only at the same job because he was able to have enough success early that last year wouldn't have gotten him fired. Right. Right. And it, it's, it's one of those things where a lot of coaches don't get that second chance. And that first one, you have to come in and, and, and win right away, or you're going to, you're going to be out of there in three or four years. Mike Zimmer at age 61, 58, when he got the job, it probably comes in saying, well, this is going to be my one shot at this. And right. I've always thought, and I've said this before that, he came in with a fairly well-formed idea of what he wanted his team to be about. But that said, there's always going to be things that throw you for a curve. I mean, he's certainly had his fair share of them 
Adrian Peterson, <laughs> yes. your quarterback going down, uh, playing in a temporary stadium, starting 5-0 and and having a, a bevy of injuries. Including your a, own. Yeah, Chris Cluey. I mean, you know, all of <laughs> yes. these. Yeah, your eye. I mean, all of these, in some ways, bizarre things that just seem to be uh, par for the course of the Minnesota Vikings. He's had to adapt to a lot of those things, but it, I think also he probably has realized – I mean, he goes back and forth about how much he says he's realized it, but some of the ways that he handled certain situations last year with players, it'll, I'll be very curious to see if, if he handles that differently because I, I, I do think that he has probably heard that from people, from older players, Terrence Newman, Chad Greenway, saying, hey, you might need to handle this differently in the future. And, and he alluded to that, that he'd gotten some of that advice. And, and that'll be one of the things that I, I will be curious to see if, if, his, if that's a little bit different this there's, time around. There's another thing to it. Two, let's say that you and I both, uh, we play the old six string, right? We do. Let's say that we were in a band and we were playing for a really long time, Yep. right? And we finally made it yep. to the big stage. Yep. We got some hits on the radio and everything else. I think it would be natural for be me great or... to hear a song with a guitar that has a hit on the radio in these days. You don't hear Tell much me of it anymore. It. But I know. We'll, uh, we'll stop being the two old guys on the porch and lamenting the state of pop music. Anyway, if continue. If John Mayer is the only guy out there playing guitar, we are in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing against you, John Mayer yeah. fans, but come on. Yeah. Anyway, wouldn't you, as the front man of the Rummage Closet, famous pop band, <laughs> wouldn't you... I actually kind of like that name. Yeah, it's not bad, isn't it? Wouldn't you feel like you wanted to control everything from there? I mean, wouldn't you yeah, feel probably. wouldn't you feel like really like I am not going to mess this up. I've worked so hard. Bass player, you already is right. like you just play the bass, okay? And you know, synth guy, just play the synth. I don't need any of your crap. I would <laughs> I would feel that way. I wouldn't think I of Rummage so Closet having a synth player. I mean, I feel this is like a Dirty garage band to me. Yeah, okay. Like you Pianist. know, like the hives or something. Can you, no, you, I'm thinking like you a, don't want a piano. I don't think I could. I don't think I don't think Rummage Closet has a piano player either. All right, I think that piano can be underrated as just like okay. filling out the sound. I, this feels like a like the hives or the vines or one of those early 2000s garage bands. All right. So anyway, we'll we'll figure this out later. My point is just that Mike Zimmer worked an inordinate amount of time for how good he was at right. his job right. to get a head coaching position. Normally, if you're a really good defensive coordinator, you don't make it to 50 years old before you get a shot yeah. if that's what you want to do. Yep. And I think that everything Zimmer does, there is this reminder in the back of his head that says, you worked a really long time to get here, and George Edwards ain't screwing it up. And, <laughs> I mean, I just... Poor George. Sure. I just pick him, sure. but it could be anybody. Right. I mean, even cutting Blair Walsh, there's a little bit of, I worked so hard to get here, the stupid kicker, yeah. uh, or the idiot kicker, yeah. to quote Peyton, Peyton Manning, Manning. Uh, messed it up. So I think with Zimmer, there has to be an element of learning to trust the people that you put around you yeah. to do their jobs, because all of these guys have been doing it for a really long time themselves. Well, in... Going back to the music analogy, I mean, you make a good point in the sense that, I mean, how many times do you hear it with bands where the first album is great and it's like, hey, this is this kind of refreshing thing and it it's different. And then the second album comes around and now you have pressure to, to have a, a, a popular follow up. You get a lot of record label execs involved. You get producers involved. You overthink it. It sounds overproduced. It sounds, you know, it's kind of just overdone it sounds stale yeah 
you know, it's that same thing of like, oh, now everybody's watching and we've got to go deliver on expectations. We, you just tend to, to get tight because you overthink it. And yeah, I, I do think that there's probably that tendency in anybody that has worked in these long tail jobs where you've had to go for, for so long, like along this flat line and then all of a sudden you get your shot and then it's like, oh, well, now I actually, I'm the dog who caught the car. Now what do I do with it? Right, right. And if he's doing that, he can evolve and become even a better coach. Let me throw something at you. I think we've exhausted both of our main topics for yes. today. Yes. yes. Um, let me throw something at you about not trusting people much. What did you make of uh, Randy Moss and his ah, yes. media session? Yes. Uh, that was very interesting. Um, and I, and I was talking with, with John Krasinski from the Associated Press afterwards and, you know, John covered Randy. Uh, I did not. Um, John said, yeah, that's the way he was when he wanted to be on. He was the greatest interview ever. And I thought, I mean, the whole thing, what, I mean, there were four or five things he said in there that were headline worthy, whether it was expounding and sort of trying to walk back the I play when I want to play quote, which I, I think has probably been misinterpreted, misunderstood, uh, mangled in its translation, given the identity of the person who asked the question and then wrote it. Uh, is certainly susceptible to doing some of those things sometimes. Uh, good old Sid Hartman. But uh, w- whether it was that, whether it was, I think I got traded out of here because I wasn't essentially paying enough attention to the business and political aspects of things and Talking about, I rub people the wrong way. It seemed like arrogance, but it was just focused on football. I mean, how much of this was Randy Moss off the cuff, and how much of this is sort of an effort to uh, pivot back when there's Hall of Fame considerations coming? I don't know, but that was all interesting. And then at the end, when I asked him about what would you say to Dennis Green if he was here, I mean, he took like a good 30 seconds to think about it, and he had to compose his thoughts, had to compose his emotions, and then he gives this emotional sort of statement, I guess, on what Dennis Green meant, what that draft day, I mean, clearly still sticks with him Mm -hmm. that he dropped that far, what all of that meant and what it meant to him that Dennis Green gave him a chance. Uh, I I thought the whole thing was fantastic. And, it, you know, there are probably different factors at play in terms of what made him open up that much. You know, you see a lot of athletes do this towards the end of their career, but mm-hmm. uh, there felt like a lot of honest moments in that to me too. Uh, I, I was, I thought the whole thing was very captivating. Well, first, credit to you on a great question. I mean, really. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I know. Whatever. We don't pat each other on the back yeah, very often no, for I anything. It. I mean, it was a simple. It was. Just, it's you know. a simple, but it's a really great question because Dennis Green meant so much yes. to him. Yep. And I think what we saw there was how raw and honest the whole thing really was. Yeah. I mean. What he said, and I would totally buy into, is maturing and being married yes. and being 40. Yep. All of that is much being easier. Being married will do that to you. <laughs> it will, and also having a fully developed frontal lobe. Yes. Like, when yes. you're, I mean, when you're 40, it's probably <laughs> yeah. a lot easier to look back at what you did when you're 23 or 20. My high school cross-country coach always liked to say, and I, I still coach with him, he still says this, that your front, he was an old biology teacher. Uh, I said, your, your your frontal lobe does not fully develop until you're 25. So the longer you can put off higher-order decisions, 
the better because you're going to be a lot closer to having a full set of faculties when you're making them. Right, exactly. It doesn't play and terribly well when you get into the NFL 21, 22 No, it certainly doesn't. But I think the other thing, too, with Randy Moss is Rand University, the 30 for 30. Yeah, very, very good documentary. It really one of the, ta- it really One of the great products from ESPN, yes. among many. Oh, yes, of course. Get them back on Netflix. Can you pull some I know, strings? I know, man. I miss them on Netflix, too. It's, I went that to was watch. Like a go-to. Yeah, I went to watch one on Netflix the other day, and I was like, wait a minute, gone? Really? Yeah. So yeah. anyway, that one tied together a lot of things for me with mm-hmm. Randy Moss. Yep, explained a lot of things. And I think it's always better for us to try as reporters to be empathetic and understand why players are the way they are so we can cover them better. Right. And with Randy Moss, watching that made you understand why he didn't trust people. Yeah. And why he would have such a chip on his shoulder. He mentioned the chip on his shoulder probably five times in that press yes, conference. Yes, he did. And there's almost Said like, it's still there. Yeah, I was going to say, you could feel it <laughs> yeah. there when he was talking. Yeah. Like, this guy's getting put into the ring of honor, and he's still talking about yeah. the chip on his shoulder. And he's going to be a Hall of Famer at some point, whether it's first ballot or not. He's going to end up at Canton. If he's not on the first ballot, that I, is an abomination I to agree. sports. I don't care whether Terrell Owens made it. I have not seen anybody other than probably Barry Sanders who is as dominant as a skill position player, not as a quarterback. I mean, quarterbacks, you can you can put a, a number of guys in that class. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, on and on and on. Drew Brees. Uh, but as a skill position player, I have not seen anybody that scared the bleep out of defenses <laughs> like Randy Moss did. I mean, the, the fact that the, the Packers in 1999 used their first three picks on cornerbacks just because they knew they are going to have to deal with this guy now, and that Tony Dungy popularized the cover two or the Tampa two is his version on it the way that it happened that's because of Randy Moss he it, belongs in the Hall of Fame as soon as he's eligible in my opinion if, I don't he, have a vote, if he was just done after his time in Minnesota he's still a Hall of Famer yeah but the fact that he goes to New England and has one of the great unbelievable re- one of the great receiver seasons of yes. all time yes sets a record for touchdowns like 22 or something 23 like I think yeah so yeah, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's disputable at yeah. all, and it would be absurd if yeah. he does not go in first ballot right away. When you just ask me, just say who the best players you ever saw yeah. in football history were. Barry Sanders yep. comes to mind. If we're not talking quarterbacks, Barry Sanders, Randy Moss, yep. right there. I mean, yep. he is in my top two or three that come right to my mind. You're probably but, a little young to have seen Jerry Rice. No, I, prime, I saw right? a good amount. Yeah. yeah, I started really paying attention to football. Pretty early. Yeah. When the Bills missed wide right is my okay. first football memory. You know, that's actually one of my first ones, too. I mean, I, I, maybe a couple of years before that. I mean, I remember watching like Montana carve up the Broncos in Super Bowl twenty four. But, yeah, that, that wide right, I remember sitting in my kitchen at dinner. I was living in San Diego at the time, so mm-hmm. it was earlier in the day. But, yeah, I ve- very vividly remember where I was when Scott Norwood missed that field goal. I remember having to have my mom explain how they lost because everyone who was there watching the game was saying they're going to win, they're going to win the Super Bowl. And uh, even going back, I just remember thinking everyone was saying that the Bills wouldn't lose because the Giants were such an incredible underdog. I think when they beat San Francisco, everyone thought, oh, the Bills are going to crush them. And then, obviously, the defensive genius of Bill Defensive coordinator Bill Belichick. And Bill Belichick, yes. Who hasn't haunted the Bills at all since. No, not, any, not at all. Not in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> and even steals their RFAs. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> it, it's almost like when you slam dunk on somebody and yeah. then just stare at them or step over them 
It's yeah. like, you didn't need to do that. Yeah, you've already hurt us enough. Right. You disrespected them enough, and now you're stepping over them. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I have no idea where... Dominant where, players. Where, oh, yeah, lifetime. yes. Dominant players, yes. Um, so it was really fascinating to me to listen to Randy Moss reflect like that, Yep. to see where he's come from and where he's grown into, but also a lot of the all-time great athletes have something that drives them beyond what a regular person like you or I could even comprehend. I can't even envision what his drive must have been like from all the things that he had gone through and then dropped in the draft because of things that happened in high school. Yeah. And that anger. And uh, even uh, Mike Morris, who works around here. Right. Play with him. He was tweeting about how Randy Moss's work ethic and practice on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people thought, oh, he's just lazy. He's just got this natural yeah. skill. That is not how it works. Yeah. So he was driven so much by that and seems to still be driven by it to yeah. be a great broadcaster or whatever it may be. And that, to me, makes him one of the most, not only just the most dominant, but also one of the most interesting he's athletes. A fascinating guy. Yeah. There's no question about it. And, it, I mean, to to have him peel back the curtain as much as he did was you know, because when they announced that, I was thinking like, okay, well, you know, we'll see what this is like. But to to have him reveal as much as he did and look back on things with as much contrition at times and as much uh, introspection as there was, I mean, again, some of that might be him now sort of, we'll see. I mean, if, if there's a little bit of a goodwill tour now as he's trying to, to get into Canton, I don't know. But I, it, he doesn't strike me as a guy that, that does a lot of that, that puts on a lot of airs for people. I, I think it, it felt pretty honest to me. And, and certainly the stuff with Denny Green, uh, th- that wasn't an act. I mean, that that was one of those things. That the, the response to that question and, and the time that he took to just have to compose his thoughts, that's one of those things in this job where you, you see it and it's like, okay, this this is this is a cool moment just to to, to – get that that little bit of a window into a guy that was that good at what he does and what makes him tick that i mean that's the stuff that that makes this the from our seat that's what makes the job fun and poor Ahmad Rashad had to yeah, follow, had to that. follow that up. Like, now he was on his talking points. He's talking about defending the North, and yes. we want to be the first team to use our own locker room at the Super Bowl. Although they have to talk to the NFL because the NFC is the road team. He was um, just he was just kicking was into like broadcaster mode there. He got his he got his ankle surgery done at Twin Cities Orthopedic. I mean he he was he was name checking <laughs> yes. the sponsors. I don't know if he was I like don't know if you. he still lives here, but yeah, he's like yeah, yeah like me today like you, exactly. Uh, hitting all, you forgot uh, you forgot E sixty. Yep. you forgot ESPN's uh, Randy Moss. Other yeah yeah ESPN's NFL Randy countdown Moss, yeah. Tune in uh, at uh, ten a.m. Well, Eastern nine a.m. Central on Sundays before uh, NFL games. In the thanks, fall. Ben. Yeah, uh, they're really. <laughs> was not my expectation for him to have that sort of moment. No. Just talking about being uh, going yeah. into the uh to the Ring of Honor. So and, that was uh, that was really something. Credit to him as well for uh putting his hand up to stop the interloper that dang near tried to ruin the whole thing. When he's about to answer the question and uh, another media member uh, whom Vikings fans that watch those press conferences will know very well uh tried to ask him another question about 10 seconds into it. I mean, you, you could tell at that point that like he's that Moss is is gonna say something, and when he's thinking about it, it's like, okay, this is probably gonna be a pretty interesting answer. And then somebody else comes in with another question about I don't even know what it was. Moss just sticks his hands up, st- oh. put his hand up, and said like, just just. 
just wait. I'm, I got something to say. I'm going to say it, and then we'll get to it. But, yeah, no, it was uh, it was good stuff. It was, it was natural skill there yep. uh, on that yep. one. Yep. Um, we could do whole podcasts about just being in media scrum. <laughs> how, how funny those could get sometimes. The unwritten right? rules of media scrums. That, that could become a very, very interesting uh, – it had to be a, a very like dead. We'd period. have to change our voices or something. To, yeah, we or, or change have, everyone's we'd, name. We'd have so. to throw a lot of shade at people that we <laughs> yes. see on a daily basis that probably wouldn't be worth throing. But, but uh, that he was who, he who is without scrum sin. Yes, that's true. We all have we all have been uh, transgressors at some point or another. There, but yeah, very interesting stuff from him. Um, he will of course be put in the ring of honor opening night. Um, in a game where he was going to be in town already working for ESPN, probably be honored at halftime that night with Adrian Peterson back in the building. There's you know, a lot of talk among younger Vikings fans, you know, Vikings fans who are my age or younger, um, that grew up with Randy Moss and obviously have been able to watch Adrian Peterson. Which one was more dominant? For me, it's Moss. I mean, Peterson in 2012 was incredible. Uh, never seen an individual performance like that of the things I've covered. Uh, but just what Moss did to sort of change the face of the modern NFL is I, I, unlike just about anybody else, in my opinion. So, you know, you have Peterson coming back in another uniform. You have Moss in the building, um, primetime game on ESPN. Make sure you tune in. Uh, should be an electric night uh, at U.S. Bank Stadium on September 11th. That, that, I mean, it was going to be a fun one anyway, but that'll, that'll certainly add another layer to it. Just on the Moss versus Peterson, you're kind of talking about a guy who was in a collection of really good running backs, yep. and he was toward the top, yep. versus a guy I'd put up against anyone in history. Yes. That's the difference for me. Yes. Nothing against Peterson's prime. It's really, really good. Right. With Moss, it is as good as it's ever been. Yeah, we. Uh, it, it certainly is going to be one of those fun debates to have over the years, but... Uh... Uh, yeah, I mean, great stuff from Randy Moss this week. And actually, a fairly interesting week on a lot of fronts, revealing uh, comments from Mike Zimmer. Um, lots to lots to chew on today, and, and probably will be more to chew on as we get through the offseason. We're, we're kind of entering the dead period of things now, but uh, with this team, there's always something going on. So we'll, we'll keep at it with the Purple Podcast, uh, whether it's on a weekly basis or if, a little more sporadically over the next few weeks. We'll see, but I'm sure there'll be enough going on that we'll be here fairly often, and, and we'll be... In Mankato before we know it. So we will talk to you soon. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening.